All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 11 of Life Between the Sticks. Cody, we're back in the episode basement, hanging 11. out. Oof. In the basement, episode 11. Never Let's thought you'd this. make it. Uh, <laughs> not to episode 11, no. Well, uh, after a fun conversation with Trevor over at Aviata Gloves, uh, first interview we've done, uh, some fun clips out there on social. Now it's, uh, you know, just back to business, really, yes. really here. Um, it's not breaking news anymore. This is out a while ago, um, but... It is official. The United States will, will be hosting the 2024 Copa America, along with six CONCACAF countries participating in it. Um, the U.S., I remember when we did play in the Copa America a few years ago, we got to play some of the South American teams. Um, it's, it's really ramping up here. The 2026 World Cup in North America, yep. now hosting a South American tournament. Yes. Thoughts on the U.S. hosting the Copa America, let alone playing against those South American teams? I, I think it's, it's going to be great exposure for U.S. soccer, great competition for U.S. soccer, a great opportunity to kind of show where U.S. soccer has, has been and how far they have come since 10 years ago 20 years ago since the world cup at the end of you know 2022 i think that there is going to be a lot of of exposure and it's a great opportunity for us soccer to really you know ramp up ahead of the world cup yeah uh, you know world cup winners Lionel messi's argentina will be there yes um yes. you know brazil uh, I've watched them absolutely dazzle at the U20 qualifying right now yes. down there. Uh, Uruguay is a good team. Colombia is a good team. Ecuador is a good team. Like they, Peru, they fight. It'll be really yeah. interesting, I think, it to see. Uh, I didn't do my homework to see who the other six countries are. I'm assuming you can expect Mexico and Canada. They're going to yeah. bring the biggest teams that they can. Absolutely. Um, but the U.S. really putting everything on pre-World Cup. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of positive momentum i guess you could say yeah. in the united states when it comes to soccer apple and the mls we've talked about hosting this huge international tournament and then you know obviously the world cup in 2026 yeah it's um no pressure huh no not at all i think u.s soccer has uh has come a long way and they have a long way to go however i think these next four to six years two to four four to six years will be absolutely massive for the for the federation and you know how they set themselves up to grow over the next 10 to 15 years yeah for sure all right so uh moving to england uh leeds have recently sacked jesse marsh an american i uh, came from rb salzburg yes. was in the rb uh world uh had a lot of success there even played in the champions league yeah. you know they were always a tough to beat team uh high press high energy and what what made us bring this up is it's a little bit like Leeds, you drunk? Like what you guys doing over there? You yeah. you just signed a few players in the January transfer market yes. for Jesse Marsh and his style of football, and then you immediately the next game sack him. Yeah, and it's and it's funny to build off of that. The coach that took over, I believe, was the reserve team coach or the second team coach. And said that the style of play will be pretty much exactly the same, except for a few little intricacies. So it's one of those things where, okay, is this decision 
really going to change the outcome of their season? Or should they have stuck with him? Well, uh, there's some implicating factors that go into this as well. Of course. But, you know, it just goes back to the same thing, the narrative around Chelsea at the beginning of the season. Aubameyang, Koulibaly, Raheem Sterling, all players signed for Thomas Tuchel. Yeah. Two weeks into the season, then you sack Thomas Tuchel, and you're left with these players. You could have just sacked him in the summer. Obviously, I think the owners are hopeful that things would change, but to... At least, like, he had a couple weeks to, like, try to figure it out. We even had a Champions League game with Chelsea. Leeds, it was the next game. Yeah. Boom, done. Yeah. And their excuse was off the back of the last six or seven results. Well, those six or seven results were happening during the transfer window when you were allowing him to go out and sign the players that he wanted to fix yeah. the issues that he was seeing in the lineup or seeing in the games or, you know, seeing in the cup games, whatever it might have been, and then you don't give them the opportunity to ride those players and actually work with those players and try to fix the the issue. Yeah, I mean, look, they couldn't play Chelsea enough uh, in his tenure there. <laughs> he was a bogey side for Chelsea, very frustratingly, but he was 8, 9, and 15 in the Premier League specifically since his arrival last season. Remember, he took over from Marcelo Bielsa, a guy who is highly tactical, uh, very specific style. He had to reverse that, which he did. Got a lift out of the players, but it definitely fell flat. It did. You know, they hadn't won since November in the Premier League, which, granted, there's a World Cup in there, you know, but that's still a Big long break. run to, that is, to not win. And I guess when you hear that statistic, that factoid, I think that you can understand the ownership's decision to sack him. However, I just think the timing was a little weird. For sure. I think that's what everyone's confused about, especially like as Americans, you're like, holy shit, we got the triumvirate there. Tyler Adams, Aaron... Uh, Brendan Aronson. Brendan Aronson. Um, Weston McKinney. And then obviously they just signed Weston McKinney yeah. on loan from Juventus. Yeah. As Americans, you know, the the Leeds United States was the nickname we had given them. Yeah. You know, my friend had just finally jumped off the Liverpool bandwagon that he was riding. It was like, all right, Leeds. I'm like, you mean dirty Leeds? <laughs> but you had an American coach. You had three, like, crucial yeah. American players. It was an exciting time. It was a big deal, uh, you know, for American fans, which obviously we are. But, again, 30% win rate in all games at Leeds. He had 37 he was in charge of. They only won 11. They drew 10, and they lost 16. You know, it's just they're only getting points in 21 of those 37. And they are firmly in a relegation battle. I mean, we look at the bottom of the table. They they just picked up a point against United post-sacking. They had the 2-2 draw, um, which you usually get a lift right afterwards, which I want to talk to you about. There's usually a player reaction. You know, so... It, they immediately get a point, but like that, there's like six teams all in that relegation zone right. at the bottom of the Premier League table. So yeah. I think Leeds know how important it is. Again, timing weird. So from your perspective, you've seen managers come and go. Um, how much of a heads up do you guys have? Like when things are going down, like how like do you guys stop talking or do you start talking? Are you a little bit worried? Um, and then, like, when the manager's sacked and someone else comes in, like, where does that new jolt of energy come from that we always seen? Well, I think 
as things, as results, as uh, training sessions become more and more difficult, obviously there is several conversations that happen amongst the players. There are several conversations that happen amongst, you know, the organization as a whole, trying to address the issues, trying to make changes. However, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes those solutions don't actually solve the issues. Mm -hmm. And when that happens or doesn't happen, you end up with a manager that gets sacked. And from my experience, you don't really have much notice. Um, I can remember in during my time in New England, I played for three different managers. Two of them, I one of them was fired in in the off season, and the other was fired mid season. And we found out when the news broke when you on showed social for, media. You showed up for training that day. Yep. The GM walked in, was like, "Hey, Brad's out." Yep. It's just us. We'll give you guys more information later. Assistant right. coaches are taking training yep. or whoever amongst the staff is still there. Cause a lot of times, assistants yeah, a lot go of with times, the head coach. yeah, the, the staff will go with the head coach or the club will ask them to stay on for a period of time just mm -hmm. to kind of mitigate the in-between until they yeah. are able to hire a, uh, a new head coach uh, and he's able to take over. All right. So managers fired. You're at the Revs, which is hilarious because I'm wearing the jacket you gave yes. me from the Revs. Uh, <laughs> shout out New England. I'm an influencer. They can be bought. <laughs> With that being said, um, you've got interim manager, someone internally taking charge. You guys are playing Galaxy the next game, hypothetically. It's Kobe Jones, David Beckham, like league leaders, okay. even though they never played together. <laughs> like how, what, what is the, is it like a weight off your shoulders because it's been so tense inside the dressing room because you know it hasn't gone well? Do you guys feel like the pressure's off where you don't have to play in this like small box stylistically? I mean, can you like make it tangible what it is? I mean, in my experience, it, it is a huge weight off of the player's shoulder. Obviously, things are the way that they are for a reason, whether it's um, the team being run in a certain manner that the players don't agree with, whether it's uh, just the, the results and, and a style of play not aligning with how the, the, the players want to step out onto the field and and they don't they feel like they're boxed into a certain style and they can't show their freedom whatever it may be it is a massive relief off of the shoulders of of the player of the player group and you know when you step on the field that next game it's in my opinion at least an opportunity to kind of go out there and showcase well that wasn't us the new coaching staff or the the interim head coach has stepped up and said, okay, look, how do you guys want to play? How do you guys want to go out there and address this? He doesn't, they don't usually come in and say, well, we're going to do this, this, and this, because most of the time that's been part of the issue. So they, they come in and they allow you to, allow you the player group to kind of step up and say, look, we want to try things this way. We want to do this. We want to change this. We want to, you know, maybe change the schedule. Just little factors like that can either lose the locker room or win the locker room over for a head coach, an interim head coach, an assistant manager, 
whatever it may be. And when you kind of get into these positions of where you've just had a manager sacked, like I've said, it is a huge relief, but it's then an opportunity to kind of go out and show not only yourself, your teammates, and the organization what you guys are actually truly made of, but the rest of the league, the fans that pay money each and every game to come and watch you play and more than likely not agreed with your performances. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, what are a couple of, like changes you've seen a manager come in and, and make right away to maybe like early wins with the team on a morale basis? Because you assume if you're towards the bottom of the table, results are crap, like, you know, everyone's a bit down. I mean, we're talking like pizza party, you guys going paintballing. Like, what, what are some of the things? No, 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 no. Definitely no pizza party, no paintballing. However, um, you know, one of the changes that happened between Brad Friedel getting fired and the run of, I think, the unbeaten run of 11 to, to I think it was 11 games. That's, when rough. Bruce, That's when, rough for Brad. <laughs> when Bruce took over, one of the smallest changes was instead of wearing team gear to every meal and on every travel day, you were allowed to wear street clothes. Hmm. That was one of, one of the changes. And, and I, it was as simple as letting people wear what they wanted to wear on the plane and what they wanted to wear uh, to team meals. The only team meal that you had to be wearing uh, Revolution branded gear was to pre-match. And that was what you wore to the game sure. as a team. Yeah. That was the only that was one of the small changes. Interesting. Yep. And um, otherwise you guys felt like it was just a little restrictive when it was all hundred percent nonstop, like hey well, kit man, I need another Yeah. <laughs> everybody, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> everybody needs to wear the same thing. Um, you wear the same thing three to four days, two to three days a week when you're traveling. Um, you're wearing it to the same, you're wearing the same things to meals. It, it becomes a little repetitive. And I think just that slight change for us at the revolution at the time was just a small tweak that kind of turned the dial one degree. And did, did you... For travel, we should clarify, this is back in the the days of non-chartered flights. Correct. So did you guys try to dress a little incognito to draw less attention to yourselves that professional athletes are on this Delta flight with no, the we were No, we were wearing, we were all wearing Revolution branded gear. That's what I'm saying. You were, you guys didn't, you guys liked the opportunity to not wear that. Correct. So that you could be a little bit more incognito, Correct. maybe like... You know, you just hear the Landon Donovan with the hat so, so far down over his face that no one would recognize him, hopefully. Yes. You guys just try to blend in. Exactly. I mean, you guys are going through TSA. Going through TSA. Some guys have TSA pre-checks. Some guys don't. <laughs> some Because it's, it is, if, if you want to pay for it at that time, that's what it was. If you want to pay for your TSA pre-check. Did you? Yes, I did. I, I didn't want to stay... At Boston Logan, those those lines Bro, are ridiculous. Hey, I've had it, so yeah. like I'm on the same page. It's just again like seeing that what it was your reality. Yeah. Heaven forbid the Kansas City away well, day. The the amount of times I think one of my one of my old teammates I think it was London Woodbury. He got asked if we were a high school basketball team. Oof. 
And he was like, I think his response was, was pretty like blunt and abrupt back. And it was, do I look like an 18 year old basketball player? Do I look 18 years old to you? You know, I uh, hope he had a beard. No, he didn't. He had a baby face, and that's why I think the lady like, yeah, we're at the time would said you, that to him. However, would, would you like to buy this candy bar to help yeah. me fundraise for yeah. my travel? Right. Yeah. Um, worst. Shout airport. out to London Woodbury, by the way. What a guy. Worst airport has to be Kansas City. They just get a brand new one, but I mean, mm, Columbus is pretty bad. I mean, every three in, gates in terms has of its size. own TSA. That's true, but in terms of size and difficulty to travel to, Columbus was Columbus is tough because a lot of major cities don't fly directly into Columbus. Oh, stop! So you had to do Chicago. You had to, yep. You had to fly to Chicago, and Philly. Then, yep. You had to do a connection. Yep. yep. I wonder if that should be that like was a, tough. a prerequisite before you get an MLS franchise. In that your was tough. City. <laughs> was, that was very tough. All right. Um, one of the mitigating factors I talked about earlier, back to Leeds United and, and Jesse Marsh's sacking. Uh, credit to World Soccer Talk. I'd known about this, but I hadn't seen anyone else bring this up. If you didn't know, the 49ers, they have a significant in ownership stake in Leeds. I actually did know that. I'd yes. forgotten about it. It's been building since they were in the championship. Yes. It was very it was small. Because if you don't know, the 49ers are very data-driven. And at the time, Leeds has a very specific player profile. They met, yes. and they're kind of like, oh, they had this Italian owner at Leeds. And somehow they got connected, and they're like, our approach to this is actually pretty similar. Very similar, yeah. Maybe let's talk more. And 49ers have very aggressively increased their stake. So what needs to happen is that Leeds must stay in the Premier League in order for the 49ers takeover to be completed by January 2024. So from uh, the owner of Leeds, him getting a big payday, a big buyout. I don't know if the lead, if 49ers go to 51% or if it's like a 60, 70, 80. Either way, they will be the majority owners uh, with complete takeover by 2024, but leads have to be in the Premier League. Interesting. That is a ton of money that we're talking about. Yeah, it is. Because the 49ers owners are very, very wealthy. Insert any NFL franchise owner. Uh, this is true. This it's is one true. of like the only appreciating like yeah. things in the world is yeah. an NFL franchise. So if you get in, you are cooking. That but, said, is the Jacksonville Jaguars... Ownership group and Con owner Fulham. Fulham. Is it Fulham? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. He's the one that had the Michael Jackson statue outside the stadium for a hot second. Didn't last long. Uh, who else? Uh, obviously Arsenal, right? LA Rams, Stan Kroenke. Oh, yeah. Fenway Sports Group and whatever. And Liverpool. Which they're trying to exit. Yeah. I mean, right now, I don't really blame them. Do the, do the Glazers own a football team? They're Florida people. The, I they, don't know if the Glazers they own probably do. an NFL team. They probably do. Anyways, Man United also yeah. up for sale. Yeah. Uh, well, sounds like Qatari Sports Investment Group is looking at them. Yeah, but then you look domestically, you see the Will family owns part of, which is the Vikings owners, mm-hmm. owns part of Orlando City, I believe mm-hmm. now. They were invested in Nashville, but I think they sold their shares and bought into Had an Orlando. 
Um, I think there's one or two others domestically as well. Well, obviously the crafts, yeah, you know, in New England. Yeah, the crafts, uh, of course, with the revolution. I think there's a lot of overlap. Seattle Sounders, Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. What I about, don't know about ownership group, though. I know that they share. They used yeah. to be together. Yeah. What about they Atlanta? They share the stadium. Yeah. Um, I think they're pretty tightly knit, right? The Falcons in Atlanta United. Yeah. Uh, who's the owner of... Why am I blanking Might on this? Might as well be the, Mercedes-Benz Arena, as far as I know. No, it's um, the owner of Home Depot. Oh, well. I, sorry, I don't oh know. Arthur Blank, the Blank family. There you go. Yep, they own both. Um, he owns both. I'm sure there's a lot of overlap. Like, if you own one sports franchise, it you have a lot of the infrastructure and marketing, grassroots stuff set up, it's easy to get the other one. Absolutely. Um, you know, baseball, Todd Bowley, Chelsea. Yeah. That seems to be going well, I think. Uh, tactical manager put out there, Brendan Aronson's minutes are going to tank with Jesse Marsh gone, unfortunately. This, again, new manager, no idea what's going to happen, but tactical manager knows the U.S. game very well. I've been really enjoying following them lately. I trust if he says Brendan, I should assume it's a he, but Brendan Aronson's minutes are going to go down. It sounds like a little bit of a teacher's pet in that sense. Yeah, uh, Marsh and, wanted him to do well, gave him extra opportunities to do well. The next manager might not. Yeah, but that happens. I think that that happens at every club. Um, a manager comes in, has two or three favorite players, um, and those players fall out of favor when a new manager comes in. That that's I've seen that happen. That's happened to me. Um, it's it's part of the game, and unfortunately, Brendan Aronson is in that situation. I hope that he is able to show this new interim manager, I assume it's an interim manager, um, that he is more than capable of playing for Leeds and playing at that level. However, uh, he was not in the starting lineup against Man United, and I don't know if he came off the bench or not. I don't know. You need to get the uh, foot mob app on here, I do, and I yeah. can help you out. No. I came completely unprepared. But you know who was on the pitch? Weston McKennie. He started, and I believe played 60 minutes. So, so, U.S. men's national team only. Another great follow, if you're yes. not. Uh, here's a nice little reference between the money and Juventus. Serie A, European like glorified team with unbelievable history. The buy option in Weston McKinney's contract will automatically be triggered if Leeds avoid relegation, big if, and he makes 10 appearances this season. He's got one in the, in the, in the bucket. His salary will increase from 3.2 million euros a season at Juve to well over 4 million at Leeds per La Gazzetta dello Sport. Interesting. A relegation stricken team versus Juventus, who also just got about a 15-point penalty for cooking the books. Yeah. Um, again, a Leeds can pay more than a Juventus. But my question is, do you think he maybe took a lower contract going from Schalke to Juventus just to make that big European move? I think he might have. He probably have, yeah. wasn't making that much at Schalke no. in comparison. No, he, he probably wasn't making that much at Schalke, especially having been... Not having been the household name that I think he currently kind of is, especially in, in the United yeah. States. Um, that said, it was kind of a shock move, in my opinion, when he went from Juventus to Leeds. However, the Premier League is bigger than the Italian Serie A. And he has buddies. He has, you know, uh, 
I'm sure Again, Jesse promised Jesse, the new world. Yes, exactly. There were, uh, I would assume, a lot of promises made. Obviously, the relationship between him, Brendan Aronson, and Tyler Adams played a part in him deciding to go to Leeds because I can guarantee you right now Leeds was not the only choice he had to leave Juventus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's a little bit of a hefty price tag for a team that is currently in a mm-hmm. pretty gnarly relegation battle. Yeah, and the other thing for him is he was like, look, I get a pretty low risk half a season in the Premier League. Let's say, Playing games. Let's see it doesn't go well for Leeds, but I've proven myself that I can play week in, week out in the Premier League. Someone's going to pick him up. Yeah, a you team know, we've coming seen... up, maybe a team that just stays up. Yeah. Um, or he could transfer somewhere back into Germany. Who liked his performance, you know, who saw him playing in the Premier League. It goes week. back to Juventus, you know. Or, yeah. Exactly. Who are in trouble and are going to have to make some changes. He might yeah. have. Why don't you guys smile when you get a new transfer photo? Dude looks miserable. Oh, to I would be Leeds. smiling. If I was making 3.2 million euros, I'd be smiling. Weston. Yeah. Um, obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, we were joking around kind of Leeds, uh, United States of America. Um there's some some good edits with Tyler, uh, Brendan, and Weston, obviously, um, that that have been making the rounds. You know, anytime yeah. you get to play with international teammates, I'm sure that's a yeah. huge plus. Especially Tyler and Weston are anchors in that midfield. The more Absolutely. they can get uh, together, the in, better. In my opinion, I think if they are playing together week in and week out, and say Weston does stay at Leeds because they stay up. That only helps the United States going into Copa America and going into all the qualification games leading up to Copa America and, you know, obviously the Mm -hmm. 2026 World Cup. Yeah, so uh, three Americans, uh, no manager anymore. Uh, But Raj Bennett from Men and Blazers did say the record for Americans on one club is five, which was at Fulham. Uh, Americans have a massive uh, history in Fulham, obviously. Yes, they do. Uh, 2007-2008 season, they had Clint Dempsey, Carlos Bocanegra, Brian McBride, Casey Keller, and Eddie Johnson. Three others had three. Three other teams have had three at one point. Most recently, 2012-2013, Stoke City. Yes. Jeff Cameron. Breck Shea, Maurice Adu. And I would even go as far Shout as to Shout out Paul say, Carr for pulling the stats. I would even go so far as to say that Juan Aguidello was a Stoke City player at that time. However, never played for Stoke mm-hmm. because he couldn't get a work visa. Breck Shea was at Stoke. Yes. Yes, Oof. he was. Interesting. So, and Marisa do making the rounds. Uh, you know, he was in Scotland a long time. He was with Rangers. Yeah, Eddie Johnson. I completely forgot. I mean, Brian McBride has the bar at Fulham Stadium. Yes, uh, he does. Everyone loves Deuce. Uh, Bocanegra's well thought of there. Deuce. Casey Keller. He he made his rounds throughout the Premier League. I mean, him and uh, Friedel, obviously yeah, long time Premier yeah. League goalkeepers. I, mean, I think Friedel still holds the. Record for most appearances by a goalkeeper. It's close. Or most consecutive appearances by a goalkeeper. The dude played till he was practically forty. Yeah, he and did. he was at Tottenham right until the end. Kept saying how yoga saved his career and all this yep. stuff, but uh, not a lot of um, 
at the end. But yeah, he had an unbelievable amount of Premier League appearances. He's yeah, he up did. there. Uh, I, I the want to say it was some 500 consecutive and maybe 800 total. Uh, if well, my, and think if like my memory serves how me many right. appearances in consecutive seasons too. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think been, he went fi- like four or five hundred, just wow. consecutive. He didn't I think miss a game. Right. Villa. Yeah, part of it was at Blackburn. A chunk that's of right. it was at Blackburn. He did a big stint at Blackburn. That's right. Um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, Leeds sacking. Um, you know, Jesse Marshall immediately went into the U.S. Men's National Team job. Bucket. Uh, just don't think that that's necessary right now but you know this does affect it so my question to you uh mr dropper is how long do we wait to hire a new national team coach? well i don't is the investigation done i mean everyone well, left. nobody's heard mcbride left yeah uh, mcbride left who went to psv oh, ernie know. stewart oh, he left yeah, and granted everyone's like no this was scheduled this was planned yeah sure okay but I don't think we've gotten a verdict on Greg Burhalter in, no, in I don't the think investigation. We have. I don't think we have. So, and I don't know when we will. And even when we do, is it something that U.S. soccer wants to make a big deal about? Not make a big deal about, but put themselves in a situation where people are criticizing them for bringing him back. Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be the easy decision to just let him go yeah move on it is early enough in the in the cycle to bring in a new manager and allow him to build for the next world cup and allow him to use the copa america as an opportunity to do that yeah well and you say hey you've got essentially 18 months right you probably yeah. come in this summer because i don't think there's any fifa dates between now and the summer right probably not i mean no. after a world i don't cup, think so and you had your january camp so let's say you go to the summer you're like all right you got 18 months you got a copa america show us that you can prep a team assemble a squad and compete in a tournament yeah uh it's gonna be a bloodbath of a tournament but hey it is you gotta, it's gonna be tough it's you gotta, gonna be you, gotta, tough you, gotta run, but... you gotta measure up against the teams at some point like yeah. you want to win the world cup you would have had to play argentina and france like yeah it, it happens, you know, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I want to take a quick break. You've got motivate back on uh, a big yes. time friend of the pod here. Uh, and you've got what with you? I have got motivate sleep. Motivate sleep helps, helps promote restful sleep. It boosts your metabolism and it accelerates your fast fat loss overnight. It is actually one of my wife and I's favorite, uh, products. Um, the restful sleep is obviously huge, mm-hmm. right? Um, as an athlete, sleep is massive for recovery. And personally, the, uh, the boost in metabolism is, is beneficial. Um, helps to keep weight off, maintain weight or keep weight off, depending on how you use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's, you know, again, one of my favorite products, one of my favorite products. Interesting. Yeah, I, I was sick earlier this week and I took NyQuil. And it took me an hour and a half to get out of bed. And I yeah. was so groggy. Yep. Uh, and I took that for medicine. But like even, you know, just in general, sleep, like so many people have issues with sleep. My wife just got something. So I'm going to now have to, you know, hit Try you guys up for some of the sleep. Try because, you know, sometimes it just takes a while to fall asleep. I would say um, sleep is the most powerful tool for recovery, for weight loss, for cognitive function. If you're not getting good sleep, it's worth a punt. You need to find a solution. Sleep Absolutely. is the most powerful um, 
tool when it comes to longevity and health. So yeah. uh, Motivate link will be in the description for this exact product. Uh, Cody's code will be in there as well. So uh, check all that out in the description. Motivate uh, friend of the pod. So with that being said, uh, we've got some updates. Uh, I just wanted to call out Sean Johnson. He was pretty much the number one goalkeeper free agent this offseason. Most, uh, most definitely. He recently, after a long run with NYCFC, um, getting to go to the World Cup, uh, announced his new home. Uh, he's filling the, the gap left by Alex Bono after they cleared house. Yeah, and Clinton Westberg. Quentin Westberg. Um, yeah, he. I think he signed, uh, I would assume, a multi-year deal with Toronto. I would guess that it will be the highest uh, goalkeeper salary, goalkeeper contract in the league. Um, it's very much deserved. I think he's been uh, a mainstay in the league in the last, five to ten years whether he was the best goalkeeper every year or not uh that's for you to decide but in my opinion he's been he's been a backbone for new york city and um you know i think he i think the time for him to move was right and you know to get that one one last contract or second to last contract and kind of take advantage of what he's been able to build in the league to date is is massive and i'm super happy for him what about, um, you know, Toronto? I mean, they struggled, but then they kind of turned it on at the end of last season, right? Yeah. Do I have that yeah. correct? Bob, yeah, they Bob did. Bradley there? Yes, Bob Bradley is there. They signed um, Insigne and Bernadeschi. Yep. Um, and I th believe they just signed uh, veteran center back Matt Hedges. So they are really making a push to start this year strong and – get back to the glory of of where they have been in the past, I don't know, maybe five years ago, five yeah. to ten years ago. They were one of the best teams in the league. They compete. They were – it was them in Seattle competing for uh, MLS Cup every single year, and I think that Bob Bradley's really making a push to make that happen again. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, they – I mean, they were they were bottom of – the conference they were buried down there so that's why i'm interesting to see if this reinvigorates because they have made a lot of changes you know some sometimes like you just need to change the scenery right it's it's not that people you know it's not that alex is a bad player he'd been there five six seven years whatever it was he probably just needs a new stimulus new environment uh, for sure. challenge as well so like i said i'd be interested to see what sean brings to that team you know if bob is going to try to play a different style um, really interested to see, but yeah, big money move for him. Obviously, he was the number one uh, goalkeeping free agent for sure, uh, and he got to probably sit back, have some fancy dinners, and let the teams wine and dine him. And yep. he landed in Toronto, so yes. hopefully, he's got his passport yep. still. Yeah, I'm Cup. sure he does. Yeah, <laughs> just an extra stamp for him. Um, all right, the other thing that you want to talk about, which I found surprising, was the MLS Next Pro. And I think this kind of came from the Aviata podcast a little bit where I was absolutely flabbergasted that you have to share gloves and boots with people on MLS teams, but some of them are on the next yeah. pro team. Yeah. Some of them are on the MLS, MLS next, which is the Academy league. So anyways, the MLS next pro, if we break this down is you have MLS. Yes. MLS next pro is the second tier. 
Correct. They're professionals, but it's very much a development league, kind of Correct. Like minor leagues for baseball. Yeah, very similar. Um, and then you have MLS Next, which is the youth academies. Correct. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Yes. Why MLS Next Pro? It's newer. We have USL 1 and 2. Yes. NASL, I think, is gone. NASL is gone. You have... USL Championship, USL League One, USL League Two. So we have three divisions. Yes. And not only that, um, you've got this now, which is a closed league. I think it's 21 of the franchises have a team, and then there's one non-MLS team that got granted in. Yes. What, what, like, I guess, what's your experience at? What's your thoughts on it? Is this a good move that there's more opportunities for pros? Is it bad that it's still all controlled by MLS? No, I mean, in my opinion, I think it's a great way to continue to grow the league. Um, it will obviously help clubs provide an opportunity to youth players that come through the academy to develop and transition from the academy to the first team, where in the past there has not been that kind of intermediate level that in between this is now providing that in between and allowing a lot of young players the opportunity to go to college if they want and then come into mls next pro or to go from the academy mls next to mls next pro okay so yes the idea really here um I actually just sent you a TikTok of the LAFC midfielder. He was, you know, down on his luck. Was it a USL contract for a thousand bucks a month? He got a call in the pandemic to go to LAFC two, mm -hmm. which is the MLX next pro. He was there for a, a handful of weeks, got an opportunity to train with the first team went well. It was Bob Bradley at the time. Bob's like, Hey, I'm signing you to our team. So I would say really big advantage, roster movement, right? Yeah. You're in-house, you're connected. Because I think of, I, you know, sorry, I always go back to Chelsea. But, you know, you think of, oh, if our youth players in the academy are doing well, they can go across to the first team train to fill out numbers or maybe even get Correct. some reps. Um, a lot of the time, these teams are in the same market, but not always, right? Which, yeah, a majority know, of the time they are, and they're actually in the same facility. Correct. Majority of the time. They have their own schedule. It's regulated. It's funded by the club. So as much as I'm like very skeptical of MLS, the more opportunities for development in a professional environment, the better. Absolutely. Because it's something that when I was 15, 16 years old, did not exist. And it is a way for MLS to provide an opportunity to youth players who are good enough to go abroad but want to stay home mm -hmm. or it, it's a way for them to keep them in the united states and develop them and transition them into the first team of the the market that they're playing in rather than them deciding to go abroad so like i said 21 founding clubs for 2022 so is last year the first year for this yes okay uh, 24 league games per club. So again, highly regulated, yep. which is important from a development standpoint and a training regiment. There's an, then there's an eight team playoff, a league cup final. 
and then there's future international games potentially with cups and leagues. Yes. So their big thing is they said, we're committed to accelerating the future of soccer in North America. Um, it also gives more coaching opportunities. Absolutely. And the one thing I pulled out, and again, this is my business mindset, not being a professional athlete, is they're going to develop staff as yeah, well. How absolutely. do you run an academy? How do you run a professional team? So now we're going to have more experienced general managers and operators. 100%. Which and I didn't think about. And then also referees. Player personnel, you know, in terms of like from a club's perspective. Mm -hmm. Logistics. Gonna, logi exactly. Kit men. Yep. Kit people. Not only that, but um, coaches. And that's one thing that U.S. soccer is, at least in my experience, struggling with. And I know in Vancouver, um, Ricardo Clark, who was on the first team staff last year as an assistant coach, was transitioned down to the two team and is now the head coach of the two team mm -hmm. so that he can have more, so that he can gain more experience and, you know, really put everything that he was able to accomplish as a player into his coaching and he can gain more ex experience coaching and really start to develop the next generation for Vancouver for sure what was um what was it like in Vancouver how often did you see those guys how often did you mix with them we saw MLS next pro players every day um they were at the same facility their schedule was a little later than ours yeah um but we saw them every day whether it was in the gym on the field whatever it might have been um and then Depending on the week we trained, a few of their players would come up to help fill numbers. If we had um, a three-game week where two of the days or three of the days were recovery days after at the day after a game, we would bring MLS Next Pro players up to help fill numbers so that the other first-team players could get good reps in training okay. uh, and manage, you know, kind of maintain the same load and get good sessions yeah for sure um did anyone make the transition in the middle of the season yeah so um simon becker and ahmed i can't remember his last name it's they just signed him to a first team contract um i don't know yeah we'll have to come back to that sorry but two players two players um made the transition up and actually made their first team debuts last year. So then they were, so I believe the, the rule is that they can come up for two appearances before they have to be offered a contract. So they both came up for two or three games, they both played two games, and then they were not able to play again during the season. Actually, it was three, three players. Oh, there you go. Um, so obviously small, you know, um, data pool, but opportunities were there. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely they were. You can't go down, though. Like, it's not super fluid, right? Where, no, it is. Uh, so I actually played in a MLS Next Pro game with, I think, three or four other pros. Okay, so um, you can use it for minutes. Yeah, you can use it for minutes. Um, I don't know if there's a, a regulation on the amount of players that can go down at any one time. Uh, however, I played one game down there last year. I know Thomas Assal, when he was coming back from his injury, played mm -hmm. a couple games. Isaac also played a couple games. Uh, so it, it can be used for minutes. That sounds, again, 
very Good. much like a reserve team. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that sounds what that's, beneficial. Yes, absolutely. All right. Some of the roster guidelines, which I found very interesting. Uh, you can have 35 players, all of whom are eligible for selection at each official match. So Bro, it's those like having benches. A first time. It's like having a first team. Sorry. First time. First team. <laughs> 35 players just suited up and sitting on the bench. I don't know if you can have 35 players. It says they're eligible. Like eligible you probably got a for roster. selection yeah, and you have yeah. to make a roster. Yeah. You got 24 roster slots. One through 24 may be filled with professional players. These roster slots include international and domestic players and players on loan. 11 of the roster slots, 25 through 35, may be filled with amateur players. There shall be a maximum of five MLS Next Youth Academy players per team on the field during an official match. They don't want to make it an academy team, and if they are playing that much, then they want them to make them full pros. For sure. Um, A player is eligible to participate, yada, yada. There's some flexibility. There's no salary cap in MLS Next Pro. There's no salary limits on player compensation. Uh, there's no minimum and there's no maximum. There's no age limits for players. You're 14, Freddie, you do ball, and you can go play MLS yep. Next Pro. You just cannot have played in college. Um, you have never been signed or recognized as a prof- professional player before, as defined by the NCAA or FIFA. Yep. Um, and uh, you currently played for a club, MLS Next Academy, or a team who has a documented affiliation with the club. So. Yep. Some rules in there for sure. Some rules and guidelines that they have to that clubs have to follow. It it can be, I would think it can be quite difficult, but again, you hire more staff and you're able to manage that. Um, you know, I found it interesting last year. Uh, circling back to one of the guidelines you just mentioned, there's no player salary cap, so I believe. St. Louis was fielding essentially what will be uh, they were fielding three or four of their players that they had signed for their first year in MLS in their MLS Next Pro team so you had you know Bundesliga legend Roman Berkey playing in MLS Next Pro last year and I, I I could be wrong. I think a portion, a large portion of his contract was front loaded. Was front loaded. So they, without a salary cap, they paid him like two and a half years worth of salary that year. Is that because there's no limits? Roughly, right? Right. That way, when they go to MLS this season, he's on a far reduced contract, so it hits less. So they essentially hits against the cap less. They prepaid the dude and said, "Hey, we're gonna need you to play an MLS next pro, but we got a bag for you." Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely some financial gymnastics. For sure, there were yeah financial gymnastics. That's a good little phrase you got there. Yeah, Uh, there's international international roster slots which can be traded, but at the end of the season they revert back to the original club. So interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and if you're injured, uh, if you have to be out for at least five games, so if you get put on an injured list, you're literally ineligible for five games. Even if you're healthy after three because you had a miracle recovery, you're out for five. And then that's how you oh. can replace them on the roster with somebody else. Fascinating. Yeah. I did not know that one. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Uh, do you think a lot of these are just one-year contracts? Um, they said there's no, no limit. There, I, No, I do not believe that they are i know a few of the mls next pro players at vancouver last year had multi-year deals Mm. um coming out of college 
you know, they, they get drafted by Vancouver in the MLS draft in either the second or the third round. And instead of signing them to first team contracts, they sign them to, you know, two or three year uh, mm-hmm. MLS Next Pro contracts, maybe a two and one. So they get a two year Next Pro deal and then a, the option on a, on a first team deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I, to answer your question, I, I do not believe that they are just one year deals. There are both, there are one year deals. And there are also multi-year deals. I made the assumption. It says there's no limit, you know, but yes. I'm thinking Clubs. like this is like the old legendary Mexican player, Cuauhtémoc Blanco. He would always play anywhere for a for a good stack. He was like 40 and still playing, doing his well, little hop. There's a 50-year-old mm-hmm. player in Japan. Japan, yeah. yeah. Is he center back? I don't know. Or is he striker? He's 50 years old, and that <laughs> is, I mean, hey, if you can still hack it at 50 years old at the professional level, you are obviously doing something right. You yeah. have found the fountain of youth. Yeah, Tiago Silva at 38. I mean, we're talking, that's another decade beyond that, wow. uh, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Anyways, um, it's really fascinating to learn um, um, more about the different Ali opportunities. Ahmed. There he is. Ali Ahmed. Shout there him you out. Go, bud. Um, you know, anyways, it's, it's more opportunities, more chances, um, you know, just to play. Like I said, we'll try to break down MLS rosters at some point. Yeah. They're unbelievably confusing with allocation money, all the different sides. Uh, like he's a supplemental slot, right? Then there's yeah. use like MLS rosters are crazy complicated. Um, you know, it's much different in England. You're essentially homegrown or you're not homegrown. It's either A or B. Here, it's a whole different thing, but it is good to hear more about the development side and, and kind of what that has to offer. And that, it, you know, I know pro rel promotion relegation is a huge kind of discussion here. And like, is it better for the game? At the end of the day, having long term infrastructure that is slowly but consistently growing really is good for the game here. Right. We just didn't have for a long time a lot of professional opportunities for players to develop. Uh, we started with the youth academies. Now we're getting into the reserve teams. And now we're getting into the full teams and expanded roster. So it's good. I, I think it is good. Again, and I'm highly skeptical of almost everything that MLS does. So far from what I'm reading, this seems to be a net positive for the game. I would agree. Um, I think that it is definitely good for the... Definitely good for the growth of the game in the United States. Um, it allows youth clubs, it allows youth players to develop and gain the exposure that my generation would not have had or did not have. Yeah, you ran 10 away. years ago. Yeah, exactly. You didn't, and did you go to high school? I did, yes. I, All of it? No, I did not. So you, because you were, yeah, you got lucky. You were in residency in Bradenton, Florida. Correct. And then you ran away to your home country, England. Exactly. The so, Dons. The No, it's which the Tractor Boys first. My bad. The Tractor Boys, and then I was a Saint, and then I was a Don. Wow. No. Uh, and then I was a Patriot. We'll we'll definitely talk through all that, <laughs> but yeah, not many players got that kind of luxury to no. to run abroad. Some of us grew up in Iowa, so that's tough. 
That's tough. <laughs> Anyways, that's it for us. Corn, hope you enjoyed husband? it. I don't know. No. Uh, hope you enjoyed it as always. We'll be back with more content. MLS preseason is right around the corner. Uh, MLS so, season. Preseason is almost done. Yeah, that is true. MLS season is there. Get your End Apple of February. TV subscription. Yeah, sign up. It's coming fast. Anyways, it from us. Uh, share it with someone. We really appreciate it. Leave us a five-star review in Spotify if you could. Subscribe on YouTube. And we're pretty funny on TikTok. So, again, I am Motivate. Sponsor the episode. We're out. Have a great one.